Take your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 15, Revelation 15. We're going to have a busy August, and uh, as we get into September, we need to start praying and planning for a great uh, revival that we have with Brother Knickerbocker in uh, November. And so we're going to have a special campaign that will start in the middle of September and go all the way through revival as we hope to see a tremendous movement of God's Holy Spirit working in our lives, preparing us for a very exciting revival as we go into the fall of uh, this year and uh, prepare for the Lord's coming as it may be very soon. We just keep plugging along and uh, being very, very persistent in our faithfulness to the Lord and steadfast through all the trials as they come upon us, knowing that uh, all the suffering that's going on in the world is only indicative of one thing, and it's going to get worse. And praise the Lord, uh, we're on the good side of it. And the Lord is going to take us out before his wrath is poured out upon this earth. And we get into chapter 15 and it speaks of God's wrath that will come in the final days of the tribulation period. As we've already talked about in Revelation uh, chapters 12 through chapters 15, we have here some parentheses that we've been dealing with. The first is chapter 7, and we got to chapter 12. And there in chapter 12, we deal with the second parentheses. And as we come up on uh, chapter 14, uh, we have uh, the third parentheses. And uh, we have here the pouring out of the vials that is going to unfold between uh, the uh, third and fourth parentheses as God is going to bring judgment upon both the religious system and the political system of the last days after the church has been raptured out. This chapter here deals with a heavenly scene as to what takes place before God pours out his final judgment. There are three judgments that Revelation refers to. Each judgment comes in a segment of seven different uh, events that are poured out upon the earth. We have what is known as the seven seal judgments, and you have seven events there. And then as we get to the trumpet judgments, it continues to get even worse. And then we come to what is known as the vials or the bowl judgment. And the vials is where God pours out his wrath upon the earth. As he is preparing the earth, uh, as he sanctifies and purifies it for his coming uh, to reign here upon the earth. The vile judgments is those judgments that take place just before the Lord comes. Uh, they're not uh, judgments that last during the last half of the tribulation period. They're judgments that happen in the very few days and Maybe weeks, we're not sure, but we know that they come very rapidly. They're very severe, and they are picturing that of the Lord purifying or sanctifying the earth, preparing the earth with his judgment of fire as he cleanses the earth for his second coming 
to come and set up his kingdom here upon the earth. So in Revelation chapter 15, verses 1 through 8, we have the preparation for these vile judgments. There are seven in total. We read in verse number 15, or pardon me, in chapter 15, beginning in verse number 1, and as we give reverence to the reading of God's Word, we're going to ask you to stand. We will read the passage, we will pray, and then we'll come back, and there are three comments that I want to make concerning what we've read. Under each one of those comments, there are several other comments, so we won't, uh, we won't keep you long, but we will keep you until I am through with this message. In verse number 1, John writes that he saw another sign in heaven. The sign that he saw is great and marvelous. And what he saw was seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. You might want to underscore that in your mind because it uh, gives the understanding that these are going to be very, very severe, unlike anything this world has ever seen. And he says, And I saw as it were a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name stand on the sea of glass having the harps of God. And they sung the song of Moses, the servant of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy, for all nations shall come and worship before thee. For thy judgments are made manifest. And after that, I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimonies in heaven was open. And the seven angels came out of the temple, having the seven plagues, clothed in pure and white linen, and having their breasts girded with golden girdles. And one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials full of the wrath of God, who liveth forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from His power, and no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven golden angels were fulfilled. Father, bless the reading of your scripture, for we ask it in the name of Jesus and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Concerning these seven golden vials that are going to be poured out upon the earth in the fullness of God's wrath upon the earth, Jesus Christ, in reference to this, Judgment said in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24, and verse number 21 through 22, that such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be, except those days should be shortened. There should no flesh be saved. For the elect's sake, those days shall be 
shortened. So <clears throat> we understand that this is going to be a horrendous time. If you thought things were bad with the seven seals and the seven trumpets, you certainly don't want to be around during these vile judgments. However, during uh, the entire seven-year tribulation period, souls are going to be saved. And even clear to the end, there will be souls saved. But these judgments, that when they are being poured out, uh, there will be no more souls saved once those judgments begin to be poured out. And I'll explain to you why in just a moment. But the souls that are saved up to that point, God will shorten those days for those that are still alive for the sake of those souls and for the mercy that God will show upon them that are saved and alive during this period. So we understand that rather than weeks, they're probably judgments that will only last for days because the Lord said, except for those days be shortened. So the, the first thing that we see, and there are three major thoughts that we want to talk about. First of all, the saints that are saved from this tribulation period. And then secondly, the song that they sing. And then thirdly, what is going on with the angels coming out and no man entering into the temple of God in heaven as we explain those three things. First of all, as we look to verses 1 and 2, as we give special attention to verse number 2, as the Lord gives instructions here concerning these angels, he saw a sea of glass mingled with fire, and he saw those that had gotten victory over the beast, those that were able to get victory over the image and over the mark. And he saw them standing before God on a sea of glass, and they were having harps of God as they were standing. And so we understand that this group of people that he sees that had received victory are those that have been martyred for their faith. They have died during the tribulation period. Their bodies have been destroyed, and they are now in heaven, and they are standing. What is so interesting about this is what we learn from the scriptures concerning what happens to the souls of those who have departed from this world, who have emptied this tabernacle and have went into the presence of God. The Bible makes it very clear that we are not a body, we are a soul. We have a body, but we are a soul. When God breathed into man, God breathed into man the breath of life. Man became a living soul. And so therefore, <clears throat> we understand that man is a soul, he is not a body. And the soul is eternal. And God puts great value on the soul. The reason he places such great value on the soul is because the soul was never created. The soul was with God from eternity past. 
When God breathed into man the breath of life, the soul was breathed into you. That soul is life, and life does not begin. Life is eternal. And God has breathed into man his breath of life, and man has become a living soul. And the Bible makes it very clear that when he created man's body, man's body was created in the image and the likeness of God. And that soul has been tainted by sin. Sin has marred our bodies. Sin has contaminated and and tainted our souls. And Jesus Christ came into this world to deliver our souls from the sin that has marred our souls that would keep us from the presence of God. And so God had a plan, and that plan was for Jesus Christ to come into this world and go to a cross and wash our precious souls with his own precious blood so that we could enter into his presence. Now, the word of God is very clear on this, and so Jesus Christ now is preparing the world for now for God to come and reign among men because that was always God's desire until Satan interrupted those plans. And those plans were interrupted because God allowed it to happen. We don't understand what goes on within the sovereign mind of God because his thoughts are much greater than ours. But we know that in the original plan, God would have man uh, dwelling among him and God reigning over man, but because of man's sin and because of his failure to obey God, he was cast out of the presence of God. And so Jesus Christ came into the world to make all things right. And so God is going to set up his kingdom here on earth, and he's going to reign here on earth among men for a thousand years. And eventually... In God's final plan to bring us back into the garden, and the garden will be a beautiful paradise as He renovates this entire planet and makes it into a beautiful paradise. He brings down a city that He has prepared. The city is a very huge city that will hover over the earth, and we will dwell in that place called paradise for all of eternity. And it will be a glorious life. God wants very much for you to be a part of that life. But if you fail in allowing Jesus Christ to take possession of your life, and then your life is going to be spent separated from God in an eternal place of horrible judgment called the lake of fire. And God does not wish for any man to go there. So Jesus Christ has done everything that he can to deliver man from that sinful condition. And so we understand from this passage of Scripture here what God is preparing to do with the earth so that he can come and reign here upon the earth. And so there are many that will be saved. God's greatest work of evangelism is going to take place during those seven years. There will be multitudes of people saved in such a great number, unlike any other generation or time throughout the history of mankind. 
And God's grace, even though with His wrath being poured out upon this world, God's grace is going to be poured out in a very wonderful way as well. But those that are saved during the tribulation period, most of them, the majority of them, will die for their faith. Even though they get victory over Satan, even though they get victory over the Antichrist, even though they get victory over the false prophet, even though they get victory by not receiving the mark, they die, but yet they are victorious. Amen. That sounds like a conundrum, but it's not. Because this old fleshly body is going to be reworked and God's going to remake it into something glorious. But before God can do that, the soul has to be saved. The soul has to be delivered. And these folks that are saved during the tribulation period who die, they just like you and I in this age immediately go into the presence of the Lord. And what is interesting here is they're not sleeping as some would teach in soul sleep that when a man dies his soul remains in his body and wherever that body is placed, well, the soul remains there until the Lord resurrects that body at the great white throne judgment. And both lost and saved stand before God and they are judged. And the lost are cast into the lake of fire and the saved go into heaven. That's not what the Bible teaches. If you believe that, then you haven't read Revelation chapter 20 because the Bible makes it very clear, blessed are those that do not take part in the great white throne judgment. Because those that take part in the great white throne judgment are all lost and will all be cast into the lake of fire. And God will judge them and God will judge them by their works and by their goodness and there will be degrees of punishment but nonetheless they will all end up in the lake of fire you don't want to go there but all who are saved will not be raised up at that time they will be raised up a thousand years earlier so that they can go into the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ but in the resurrection of the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ, there are two phases. The first phase is the church, which is a mystery to the resurrection. It takes place seven years earlier. And then the general resurrection of all the Old Testament saints and the tribulation saints will take place at the end of the tribulation period. And so all of us will have a part in the millennial kingdom. And those that are saved, but their bodies were not destroyed, they will go into the millennial reign of Christ with mortal bodies. And they will have children. They will procreate. They will have children, and their children's children will have children. And by the end of the millennial reign, there will be a multitude that cannot be numbered as the sand of the sea of mortal men and women who will hate Jesus Christ and want to destroy him. And so when the devil is turned loose, then they show their true colors and they join in with the devil to battle against Jesus Christ. And all those mortal beings will be destroyed and be judged and cast into the lake of fire at the great white throne judgment. There you have it in a nutshell. And so that's the program that God has. 
And so if you die today or if you, you're not saved and you didn't understand the gospel for somehow you missed out on understanding it and you get saved during the tribulation period, and it's very doubtful if you hear the gospel and you say you didn't understand it, that's kind of doubtful because we're going to do our best to make it very clear to you. And so there will be those that have never heard the gospel. There will be those that perhaps heard the gospel but never understood the gospel. And they will have a second chance during the tribulation period if they live long enough to go into the tribulation period. And if they're not killed before they receive Christ. And they can be saved, but they will die, most of them, for their faith. And, of course, in this period of time, we understand many have died for their faith during the generation known as the church age. Now, what's important is for us to understand, if you were to die today, your body, regardless what you do with it, you can incinerate it, or you can put it in a concrete mosque, or you can bury it in the ground, or, or you can go out into the wilderness, and like some of the Indians go off and die, and... And, and then your body be burned or maybe die in the wilderness and the vultures get a hold of it. Well, God's going to raise it up regardless what happens to it. But until he raises up your dead body, your living soul goes straight into the very presence of God. God makes it very clear the moment you die, you are in the presence of God. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I want you to notice in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 1 through 8, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Notice what he says in verse number 2 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. You see, a soul that is truly saved knows where he's going. And when you come to the time where you're about ready to empty this nest, you begin to groan. I was talking to a man just the other day that was telling me how interesting it is to be around Christians that are getting older and they're suffering in pain and they don't want to live in this body any longer and they look forward to dying. And they look forward to leaving this body, and they look forward to going to heaven. I've pastored long enough to where I've known many people like that. You get cancer and you suffer long enough. If your faith is strong enough, then you'll want to leave this body. There's something wrong with your faith, and there's something wrong about your salvation. If you fight and you struggle and you want to hold on to the life of this old body as long as you can. There's something wrong about that because it tells me maybe you're not saved because a saved person knows where he's going. And uh, he's not fearful of death. He looks forward to it when he gets to a certain place to where this old body is no longer fit to live in. And he begins to groan to want out of it. And I've known a lot of Christian saints that were, were groaning to get out of this old body. I think of a lady by Mrs. Sorensen. She would say to me, I'm angry at God. And I'd say, why are you angry at God? Here I am, I'm 90 years old, and I'm suffering, and I'm in pain. 
all my loved ones and all the people that I grew up and, and I associated with, they're all gone to heaven and I'm still here in this old body. When is God going to take me home? I said, well, be patient. He will in time. But while you're here in this old body, pray for your pastor, pray for the church. Well, I do that, but he still won't take me home. Amen. Do you have that kind of faith? The Bible says if you have that kind of faith, you get to a place where you desire to be clothed with your house, which is in heaven. The Bible says that we, when we get to heaven... There is a spiritual body that awaits us, so that our souls will not be found naked. Notice in verse number 3. For he says in verse number 4, For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened not for that we should be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us this selfsame thing is God, who hath given us the earnest of the Spirit, Therefore, we are always confident knowing that while we're at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight, being confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Now, what's interesting here, and I don't mean to get off on another subject here, but I want to throw out three thoughts with you very quickly about what we just read. Notice that this body that God has promised us that's going to clothe our soul as an eternal body. Notice it says we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Notice the second thing that we see about this body, that this body is full of life. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not that we should be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. You don't know what real life is until you get out of this old body and get into your brand new body and you get into the presence of God. For in the presence of God there's everlasting joy. In the presence of God there is life eternal. In the presence of God there is life in abundance and you will live your life with an unspeakable joy that will be filled with glory. Every day will be a glorious day because it will be one beautiful day. It will always be filled with sunshine, with no pain, with no sorrow, with no sadness. It will be a day that will go on for all of eternity filled with everlasting joy and your new body as your soul dwells in that body, will be filled with great power and great might so that you can run and leap over mountains and you can walk through closed doors and you can ascend up into heaven and visit the galaxies or do whatever you want because you have a body like unto His glorious body. And that's what God has promised to your soul. The Bible also makes it very clear that our future new body is assured to us by the down payment that God has given to us. Notice you read there that He has given us the earnest of His Spirit. Now, if I was to go out and buy a house, usually in the day and time that I grew up in, they would like to have at least 20% down. They called it earnest money. That earnest money was put in an escrow account, and then uh, over a period of some 30 days or whatever, 
while I, the whole thing went through the title insurance report and while all the funds were made available, uh, eventually I would come up with the rest of the money and the house would be mine. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ has made it very clear to you that he has saved you and to make sure that you know that he means business, he has given you an earnest to his promise. That earnest is that he gave you one-third down by giving you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is that which seals the deal. You have been sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. In other words, until the day that the, the escrow account closes, he's going to make full redemption on what he has promised you. And he has promised you that you're going to have a glorious body, you're going to go into an eternal kingdom, and you're going to reign with him forever. This is the promise that you have. And the Spirit of God bears witness with our spirit that that promise is true because we know that the Spirit of God lives within us. And if the Spirit of God lives within you, you know that you are saved. That's why he wrote in 2 Corinthians 3 and verse number 20 through 22, For all the promises of God in Him are yea, and in Him amen, unto the glory of God by us. So He which established us with you in Christ, hath anointed us in God, who hath also sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. So I know that I'm saved. I know where I'm going to go. I groaned for that at times. I know it's a beautiful place. And I know that that's my home. God has given me that understanding. So why would I want to hang around in a body that's dying, filled with cancer, can't hardly breathe, and say, wait a minute, put me on life support. I want to hang on as long as I can, knowing that I'm at the end of my rope, believing that that life support is going to keep me around a little longer. Why would I want that? Well, you would want that if you're not truly saved and you're fearful of dying. Secondly, we find that the soul will have victory when Jesus Christ seals that soul with his spirit. You see, we can have victory over the devil just as they have victory over the devil. Notice the Bible makes it very clear that God gave them victory. They were able to have victory over the beast. They were to have victory over the false prophet. They were able to have victory over the mark by not receiving them. Now, I want to ask you a question. If, if they are sealed with the Holy Spirit and they can have victory over the devil and over the Antichrist and over the false prophet and, and by not taking the mark, well, why can't we have victory in this life? We should be able to have as much victory as they have. And those that are willing to die, and they will have to die for their faith, we ought to be willing to live for our faith. We ought to be able to have victory over Satan. We ought to have victory over all of his demons. We ought to be able to have victory over not receiving anything that he wants to mark us with. Why do we allow ourselves to be marked? Why do we allow Satan to take control of our lives? If they can have victory, well, we certainly ought to be able to have victory. 
So the Word of God makes it very clear that He gave these people victory. The Bible tells us where that victory comes from. It doesn't come from me. It comes from my faith. It comes from my faith within the faith of the person that saved me, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. I know this is a worn-out passage of Scripture, but let's use it again because, you know, repetition makes for a great teacher. 1 John chapter 4, or 1 John, excuse me, chapter 5, verse number 4, where he says, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. So the victory that overcomes the most impossible situations in any time, in any period, is faith, faith in God, and your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so these people had victory to overcome that faith. They had victory over the image. They had victory over everything that happens over there in Revelation chapter 13. Why? Because they put their faith in the same person that we are putting our faith in. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. What's interesting is what we saw over in Revelation chapter 12 and verse number 11. The Bible tells us that those that overcome are those that overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimonies and the fact that they do not love their lives more than they love God but are willing to die for their faith in God. And so indeed they will die for their faith in God. I want to ask you, have you overcome the devil through your faith in God? Have you overcome the devil by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and by your testimony? And do you love God more than this life and this world? The Bible says, love not the world, neither the things which are in the world. Do we love the prince of this world? No. But we love the king of kings and the prince of princes, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we love him more than our own life and we're willing to die for him. Are we? We'll then start living for him. Will you? Because that's what the Bible expects of us. To present our bodies living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God. God considers that at least your reasonable service. And so here we find that these are willing to die for the Lord Jesus Christ, but they overcame him through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, there's something powerful through the blood of Jesus Christ. See, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us from every sin. But we need to walk in the light. And there's just something wonderful and something glorious and something powerful about the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you know that if you truly believe that, you can say, Satan, in the name of Jesus Christ and through his precious blood, I command you to flee from me. Did you know there's something powerful about the blood of Jesus Christ? And we need to exercise that and understand that it is through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that there's power over sin. There's, it is through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that you and I have been forgiven of sin. There's power through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, that has brought us into the very presence of God. 
and we sing the song, there's power, power, power in the blood, but do we believe it? Are we standing upon it? Have we applied the blood? Because the blood is so important, for without the blood of God, no man can enter into the presence of God. So their testimonies of Jesus Christ, the Lord, was based upon what they believed. And they were willing to die for that faith. And so many down through the church age have done the same. And then thirdly, we see that the martyred souls are standing on a sea of glass, mingled with fire. That means they got there by great tribulation. They got there by great trials. They got there by great sorrow. And now they're standing on a sea of glass. In other words, there's a multitude of people, a multitude. The Bible refers to them as a great multitude that are standing there. A sea usually represents something that is humongous, something that cannot be numbered. It is something when you look out on the horizon, you cannot see the end of it. And here are multitudes of people, billions of people from every nation, every kindred, every tongue that were saved during the tribulation period. Can you imagine, let's say the earth when uh, the church has been raptured out that there's still 5 billion people, well, maybe 6 billion. I, I would hope to think that there's at least a billion saved people in the world. But we don't know. But let's assume there is a billion people. So six, people, six billion people are left. Let's assume that half of those people get saved during the tribulation period. Three billion people standing before God. Can you imagine what that would look like? And they're standing before the Lord, and they got there by the fire of God's wrath and judgment upon this old world. But they did not compromise. They did not cave in. Uh, they stood firm. They had tenacity. They were steadfast, not like so many Christians in this world that have it so easy. And when someone refuses, they shake their hand, they drop out of church. How silly. And here are people that have went through a horrendous hell on earth, and now they're standing in the presence of God. Every multitude, every nation. We are told in Revelation chapter 6 and verse number 9 through 11, and when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the souls, I saw under the altar, the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimonies which they held. They cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them. Now remember, these are souls. Their bodies are in the grave, but they're clothed with white robes. And these are souls. Their bodies are in the grave. They don't have eyes. They don't have ears. They don't have mouths, but they hear, they see, they understand. They're cognizant of where they're at. These are souls. Their bodies are still in the earth. They have not been resurrected, but they've been given cloth. They've been given robes. They've been given white linen to drape their souls. They're alert and they know what's going on. They're cognizant of what goes on in heaven. They're cognizant of what's going on here on earth. 
And they're told to rest a little longer because there's going to be many more that are going to die for their faith. That seems to represent what we saw in Revelation chapter 12, verse number 11, where those that are willing to die rather than to live because they had a great testimony, because they overcame through the word and by their testimonies, they die. Well, there they are. They're in heaven. They're in heaven. There's more to come. And we're there in heaven. We're the elders. We're the 24 elders sitting upon the seats that could not be numbered out of every nation, kindred, and tongue. Can you see what's going on? It's a glorious place. It's a beautiful place. The church is there. Tribulation saints are there. And very soon we're all going to be back here on earth in glorified bodies. We read in Revelation chapter 7 verse number 9 that there is a great revival from the 144,000 witnesses that go out preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. For we read in Revelation 7 verse number 9, And after this I beheld and lo, in other words, a great multitude, how wonderful is that, which no man could number of all nations, kindreds, and peoples, and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and psalms in their hands. Notice it says in verse number 15, Therefore as they stood there before the Lord, the throne of God, as they serve Him day and night, they're in His temple. And He that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. Boy, the temple must be a big place. The throne must be a big place. For a multitude of people as the sand of the seas there be before the throne of God in the temple of the Lord. Can you imagine that? And so we find these martyred saints that are there. And what are they doing? They're singing a song. They're singing the song of Moses. Notice in verse number 3 and 4 of Revelation chapter 15. Revelation 15, if you've lost your way, go back to Revelation 15. Notice in verse number 3. And they sung the song of Moses. Now the song of Moses is recorded over in Exodus chapter 15 in verses 1 through 21. Now notice in verses, seven, in verses 3 through 7 of the song of Moses, here's what they were singing. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and hosts hath he cast into the sea. His chosen captains are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sink into the bottom as a stone. Thy right hand, O Lord, is become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, hath dashed in pieces the enemy. And in the greatness of thy excellency, thou hast overthrown them that rose up against thee. Thou sendest forth thy wrath which consumed them as stubble. And with the blast of thy nostrils, the waters were gathered together, the flood stood upright and heaped, and the depths were congealed in the heart of the sea. Notice in verse number 18 of Exodus 15, he says, The Lord shall reign forever and ever. Why are they singing this song? Because Pharaoh is a type of the Antichrist. Why are they singing this song? Because Egypt is a picture of the world. Why are they singing this song? Because the armies of Egypt 
is a picture of Armageddon. Why are they singing this song? Because that's a picture of what's happening in the last days. The Antichrist, along with the world and the armies of the world, will come to battle against Lord Jesus, and by the breath of His nostrils they will be cast down, and the blood will flow for 200 miles in the valley of Megiddo, as deep as the horse's bridle or six feet deep will the blood flow. That's why they're singing this song. Because King Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. And John later wrote, And I saw heaven open, and behold, he that sat upon a white throne that is called Faithful and True. He got upon that horse, and riding upon other white horses were the church or the angels of heaven. And he comes to earth, and by just speaking his words, he destroys the enemy. The Bible says on his vesture and on his thigh is the name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. This is the song of Moses. It's the song of victory. It's our song of victory. I think of what is said over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Jesus Christ, according to the scriptures, died for our sins, was buried and rose again, but that's not all of the gospel. You want to know what the full gospel is? He's coming! King Jesus is coming! You can mark it down. And He has promised us that He's going to raise us all up. This is the victory. So we read at the end of that chapter, but thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For you know not that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. God help us to realize that we need to remain faithful. Not allow these silly things that discourage so many people. In closing, we see in, in verses 5 through 8 of Revelation 15. I wish I had a little more time than large on this. I may do so tonight, but notice in verses 5 through 8 of Revelation 15. And after that I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony of heaven was open, and the seven angels came out of the temple, having the seven plagues, clothed in pure and white linen, and having their breasts girded with golden girdles. And one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials full of the wrath of God, who liveth forever and ever. And the temple was filled with the smoke from the glory of God and from His power. And no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven golden angels were fulfilled. If I had time, I would really enlarge on this, but I want you to understand what's going on. If you were to take your Bible and turn over to Leviticus chapter 16, we are given instructions about the offering that atones the sins of the people of Israel. How the high priest was to take the butt of the bullock, and he was to go into the Holy of Holies, and while he was there in the Holy of Holies, he would offer up the incense, and the smoke would fill the Holy of Holies.
It was a picture of God's purification and sanctification of that holy place. And while it was filled with the smoke of the incense that he carried in there from the golden pots, he would take a vessel that was filled with the blood of the bullock that he offered. And he would take his thumb and he would sprinkle the offering or the altar that was in the Holy of Holies where the mercy seat was. He would sprinkle it seven times. After he sprinkled the mercy seat, he would take that golden pot with the rest of the blood and he would walk outside of the Holy of Holies through the veil. No one could enter into that veil except that high priest and he could only enter in once every year. Once he walked out, no one else could enter back in. And when he walked out, he began to sprinkle the blood upon the alders that were outside in the Holy of Holies and outside in the court. He also sprinkled the people with the blood as well. Now here's the picture. It's a picture of the temple of God. And Jesus Christ is our high priest and he's entered into the very holy of holies, the very presence of God that is filled with the smoke of the very presence of God. His sanctification and his purification that has made everything so holy and pure. And he's taken the blood, his own precious blood, and he has sprinkled it upon the mercy seat. Now he's walking out. He's no longer there. While these vials are being poured out, there's no one in there. There's no one in there to intercede on your behalf. Your opportunity to be saved is forever gone. It's all over. If you're in the tribulation period and you haven't been saved, before that point, your soul is doomed. The vials of wrath are being poured out. And the blood that is being sprinkled now is the blood of God's wrath and God's judgment upon those that have not received him. What a horrible time that will be. You see, <clears throat> now is to accept the time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. While he's still there, while he can still intercede, once he leaves that holy place, he comes to earth as King of kings and Lord of lords with every head bowed.